You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. We just started the book of Acts. Um, this is our second week in it. But before I do, I want to share a story. I was going through articles, and I found this one, and it says, In England, this lady named Rachel, she raised an African gray parrot named Harvey. I guess that's a good name for a parrot. But recently, Harvey was always saying things, he was always saying another lady's name in front of Rachel. And then one day, Rachel was at home with her boyfriend when the six-year-old pet parrot suddenly started saying, I love you, Claire. Rachel finally understood that her boyfriend has a female colleague at work named Claire. Um, The boyfriend admitted he was cheating. And after breaking up with her boyfriend, poor Harvey the parrot was also sent away because the constant calling out of Claire started to irritate her after a while. What I see in that story, I think it's, it's, it's interesting and it's sad, is this idea of betrayal. Betrayal, whether it's a cheating ex, a cheating spouse, or somebody at work stabbing you in the back, or whatever, betrayal is a common thread throughout all of humanity, throughout all the history of mankind. We see examples of this. Um, just look at any of Shakespeare's play. Just think of Julius Caesar, A tu Brute, this Julius Caesar's friend, Brutus, stabs him in the back. It's that, that's where we get that imagery from, the stabbing in the back. Or just think of Benedict Arnold. To this day, I can't order eggs Benedict without fear of them betraying me in some way. We watch any movie. You watch any suspense movie or action movie. You're always waiting for that one friend to secretly be like a spy for the other side, right? You're waiting. Like, there's been so many movies the whole time I'm like, he's a liar he's a liar. And then it happens. I'm like, yes, I knew it. I had that spirit of discernment. I could tell. But like betrayal is something that goes throughout all of mankind, through all of history. It's something we just kind of learn to like expect. But when we, when it actually happens, we're like, we never expected this. That's why it's betrayal. We didn't see it coming, but we know what happens. It's a common thread. It's part of life. And this morning, as we look at Acts, I want to look at a form of betrayal and see how do we respond to it. How, how, how does, the, gospel, how does the, the book of Acts cause me to respond to betrayals in my life? What is God saying? I, I talked uh, last week, um, we, we did the, the Gospel of Mark, where we looked at the life of Christ and said everything that Christ does is, is, means something for me. Who he is defines how my life is supposed to be shaped. And so we go from the book of Mark to the book of Acts, which is the things that the church responded to. Basically, after Christ's life, how does the church respond to Christ? And so in Acts, we must find ourselves. And so the passage that I read this morning, I am able to find myself because of other scripture and because these are real things that happen to real people. And if we just make it a story, we won't be able to find ourselves in it, right? And this passage is something that I've read multiple times and never found myself in it. But now I see it through a different light. Let's read together, can we? Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet. Let me, before we start reading some more, let me just recap what we talked about last week. We see the first part of Acts is Jesus, he is risen from the dead, he's with them, and he, for 40 days he ministers to them and to others around. Uh, we see at one time he ministers to over 500 people. So we know that Jesus has been walking the earth and ministering to them. And then he says this, he's like, when I leave, wait for the Holy Spirit. There's a promise of the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere, but you have a mission to go out through the whole world and make disciples. But when I leave, don't go anywhere. Make sense? 
So here's where the disciples find themselves. Jesus has been taken up in the clouds. He's not with them. And they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. So they're in this middle zone. Jesus is gone. The Holy Spirit's not here yet. This is where we're at. So starting back in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were, where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these, in one accord, were devoted themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language Akaldema, which is a field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of them who had accompanied us during, the, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know our hearts, the hearts of all of us, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and it fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now this is, to me, one of the strangest portions of scriptures that I can read. We see the disciples have gathered together in prayer and, and, and seeking God's face, and Peter, who's kind of like the head of the disciples here, because that's Peter, he's always leading the charge. He says, guys, I recognize something. We see in Scripture that there are supposed to be 12 of us and somebody who is supposed to replace Judas. Judas, who betrayed Christ, who led the, the soldiers to him, he's now dead. It says that what we get from Matthew's account and from this is that he basically hung himself and then somehow fell and his bowels came out and he died. So it wasn't a happy ending for Judas. Um, but now he's dead. Now he, be, he has betrayed us. we got to find somebody to replace him. And then they think, who's the best person for the job? And they narrow it down to these two guys. And then they pray, and then they cast, like, lots. They basically gamble, roll the dice a little bit. And then they figure out it's Matthias. And to me, this passage has always been like, what are you trying to tell me, God, from this? Should I roll the dice on people? Is that, is that what you're saying here? I don't I don't, I don't understand. Let's look at this a little bit by bit. The betrayal here, we got to focus in here on one thing. Judas. Judas was handpicked by Jesus himself, and then he betrayed Judas. The ultimate betrayal. The ultimate stab in the back. A2 Judas. He was a friend, though, who betrayed him. This, let me, let me clarify something. 
the Judas that's referred to in this room, if you, I don't know if anybody picked up on that, they were, when they're going through all the disciples who are there, they say Judas. Um, that last Judas is also known as Thaddeus. So it's not Judas come back from the dead to haunt the disciples in the upper room there. That's not what's happening. It's a different guy named Thaddeus, the disciple Thaddeus. But so this, this Judas who betrayed them, though, he's gone. See, let's look at first what happened with Judas, his betrayal. Betraying God always leads to two things, two options, destruction or repentance. Always, when you betray what God's doing, what God's called you to, when you betray him and who he is, when you turn your back on his, on his character, it needs to lead to two things, destruction either in this earth or the next life, or repentance. My hope and my prayer, whenever I see people turn and run from the call of God, is I hope and pray for repentance. I hope and pray for that. I don't know what the disciples were praying about Judas between this time where he betrayed and then hung himself. I don't know what they were hoping for him. Um, it might have been difficult to pray for repentance. And I, and I have to, at the, in this moment, I have to ask myself, what do we wish on the people who betray us, the people who hurt us? Do we wish for their ultimate destruction and demise, or do we wish repentance and restoration? Because in some way, I've talked about this before, you and I have betrayed Jesus multiple times, sometimes on a daily basis, where we call other things Lord of our lives. You and I have to at some point recognize that in some ways I'm Judas. I have betrayed the king of the earth, the ruler of everything. I have exchanged his plans for my plans. This happens a lot. And my hope is when somebody does that to me in a real personal way, I need to recognize that they're broken just like I was broken. They're a betrayer just like I was a betrayer, and I hope for their repentance. That's a difficult place to be in. That's a difficult mindset to take upon myself. I, I hope for their repentance and restoration. It's difficult. See, our natural reaction, though, and this is where we find the rest of this passage this morning, our natural reaction to betrayal is a fear of vulnerability. When somebody betrays you, it's really hard to make a new friend, right? You go into that next friendship very skeptical. You're on high alert. See, we see this with marriages. Let me explain. If, if you have been a part, or if you, we all know that somebody who's been married and it ended badly, really, really badly. And then whenever you bring up marriage to them, they basically talk about marriage as if it is like Satan himself walking the earth. Marriage is awful. Why would anybody get married? I don't understand marriage. It just leads to brokenness. We guys, we've all seen that comedian on Comedy Central who just hates marriage, or we know that uncle who hates marriage. We all know that somebody who's very embittered to marriage because of a past background, because of a past experience. Somebody they know had a bad marriage. Your parents had a bad marriage, so you view marriage as it's the worst thing possible. We also see this with churches. Somebody who's gone to a church, or I tried church once, and, and somebody there hurt me. They were mean to me, or they weren't this, or they didn't do that, they should have done this. Somehow you were hurt. And so now we know that person who calls themselves a Christian, but doesn't want to go to church because they're afraid of being hurt. Right? They felt betrayed before. They felt unloved. They felt like they were the victim of something. And so they turned their back on the church because they don't want to put themselves in that position again. We find this example with marriage and with church. And the truth is, God has a purpose and a plan for both of those things in our lives. 
God has created something good and beautiful, and when brokenness and betrayal seeps in, we all of a sudden reject that whole thing. It's the classic throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's we completely get rid of it, even though that's not really the problem. The truth is humanity is the problem. Not marriage, not church. It's my brokenness. It's my sin that's the problem. God has a purpose for both of those things. Let me, let me say something else, though. With the two of those that I just mentioned as examples, marriage is optional. Community slash church is not. You find Paul talking about singleness in 1 Corinthians. He says this, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6. Now, as a concession and not a command, I say this. I wish that all were like myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul's basically saying, hey, I'm committed only to the gospel, and it's great for me. I can focus on mission all the time. And some of you have that calling and that gifting. That's why he says one gift or one, one thing on one person and one on another. Some of you can't handle that. Some people need to be married, and that's okay. Marriage is supposed to be something that some of humanity does, and now with the Great Commission, some of us need to recognize we're called to singleness. If you feel like that really doesn't want to be you, it probably isn't. Don't be like, oh, God, why have you cursed me with singleness? That's probably not the case. If it's a desire of your heart, then I'm sure he'll bless it. Some of us are called to that. Some of us are called to display the character of God through marriage. I just did a marriage yesterday. It was beautiful. It's awesome. It's ordained by God. It's supposed to reflect his character, not our brokenness. I need to recognize that even though frustrations happen in marriage, my purpose is to constantly reflect his mercy, his love, his grace, his forgiveness to the world in my marriage. So the second thing, though, we're talking about marriage. Let's look at the community slash church. I said marriage is optional for some. Community church is not. In Hebrews, it says this. Hebrews chapter 10, I believe. I don't have it written down here. Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another and to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says some people are in the habit of completely forgetting church completely forgetting to assemble together and to worship together and to grow together. He says we need to be stirring one another up, encouraging one another. We cannot neglect community and church. From the very beginning of creation, God said it's not good for man to be alone. He's always established the idea of community, and then he builds it beautifully through his church. That we're all different aspects. We're all different parts of this body of Christ. We're all different parts of this family. We're brothers and sisters in this. There's no scripture that I can find that commands us to stay away from church because you've been hurt. Or even that says that that's an option. It's not. What we can find is verses over and over and over again that tells us to love one another, forgive one another, esteem others higher than ourselves. To pursue the interest of others over our own interest. 
And so what, we ha- what happens in life is when we feel betrayed, instead of pursuing others' better interests over ourselves, we automatically, automatically build up walls. And so we're just like this perfect, untouchable person. We're like this bubble boy. Don't touch me. Don't come into my bubble. I want to be a part of the church. I can read my Bible at home. Don't talk to me. Then you're forsaking community. You're forsaking the building up of other believers. Jesus says this in John 17. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus' proclamation over the church is that the love of God, the love of Christ is in us and dwells among us so that we become one and we demonstrate the character of God to the world. That is the call that Jesus spoke over every one of us. I don't have the right to feel betrayed and then to isolate myself. I don't have the right to do that, to be hurt and put up all these barriers. Let me be honest with you in this moment if I can. Church ministry is tough. I love most of my, most of my ministry experience has been awesome. But there are these moments that I cannot even begin to describe of complete betrayal by people who call me close friends. The next thing you know, they're slandering me and Jared and my wife and other people that I love all over. Complete un- untruth, just lies. Complete brokenness. That's happened, believe it or not. I know, everybody likes me. No, they don't. I've always been the guy that everybody liked. Jared jokes about it all the time. We've lit- I've literally met people, and then I go, I walk away. I, I've met him for like three seconds, and Jared, somebody tells Jared, this has happened multiple times, where they go, man, I think if Jesse and I live closer, we could become really good friends. I don't know why people think that all the time, and I kind of live that way. I was always the friend zone. Remember we were talking about last week? I was always friend zone Jesse. Until I started going into ministry then enemies pop up left and right. And what that did to me was it made me not want to trust people, especially in leadership. I can trust people to be part of the congregation. I can trust them to go to a home group. But it was hard for me to trust people to become elders, to trust people to lead home groups. And I recognized that's not logic, that's sin. For me to say that I can't bring people into this, to, to trust them with leading this, even though God's probably stirring them because I've been hurt before, is sin on my end. I'm preaching this this morning not because it's something we all need to hear, but it's something that I have to deal with. I told our elders when we met, I said, this is difficult for me. This is difficult. I know we need to be elders and to trust each other and to be real friends. And that's why we've taken a priority to really grow our friendship. We're not just a group of men who randomly sit around and vote yes or no. That's not what happens. We are friends. We are brothers in this. And I recognize that that runs the risk of betrayal. But it's also a command. It's something that I have to do. Sorry, did I just get too personal for some people? I'm leaving this church. Jesse's got trust issues. (laughs) I need to trust people who could potentially hurt me in order so that I can trust God. Just like we need to view marriage and church based on what it was created to be, rather than past experience, we need to view people 
by who they are created to be, not on your past experience. You have to look at the people that you meet and say, who does God see them becoming? Not, who have I seen this person remind me of in the past? That's difficult. That's a hard place to live. I, I, I can, I can, I'm not going to name names because that would be ridiculous, but there are people that Jared and I have had to say, this person kindly reminds me of this person, so I'm naturally hesitant and I've got to get over it. I got to get through this because it's not it's not God, it's just my my heart. We've we've done that. We've had to. And I'm glad we did because those people are amazing. The people that we've had to get over our natural fears and trust, they've become amazing friends. I'm thankful for that. We need to trust people so that we can really trust God. Here in that passage I want to look back here at the disciples' decisions. To me, this is why I'm talking about this. The disciples here in this moment, instead of saying, well, one of the 12 betrayed us, so let's never replace him. There's four things I want to talk about. But they saw the need to replace him, and they wanted to be obedient beyond their fears. Beyond their fears. Four things. Finding God's plan in the midst of confusion. You can use this for friendships. You can use this for other things. And I see this as an example here in this passage. First thing is Scripture. They looked at the Old Testament. They saw the prophecies about Christ through the life of David, and they saw that there was a need to replace Judas based on these Old Testament prophecies. They saw it in Scripture. They said, this is what I have to do. Number one, if you were trying to find out God's plan in the midst of confusion or cloudiness, Scripture. Number two, I love this because it goes against a lot of spiritual teaching. Number two is natural wisdom. They looked at what they needed to do, and then they narrowed the list down. They looked at, hey, who should be a disciple? Who could be one of the 12? Well, it has to be somebody who was present with Jesus and saw him ascend. It had to be somebody who heard his teachings. So who could it be? And they narrowed it down to two. Two people. Then the third thing is they prayed. They were, they were in prayer when they discovered this need. What, we saw they went back to Jerusalem, they went to this room, and they were in prayer. And then Peter saw, we need this. They were in prayer and scripture reading, and they saw the need. And then they go back to prayer. After they narrow it down to two, they say, God, we know that you're good. Do this for us. Because <laughs> we don't know in our own wisdom which one. We narrowed it down, which one. And then they trusted God's sovereignty. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this verse preached that these stupid disciples, they were gambling, just doing something stupid. The truth is, the way they handled the situation was something that we see all throughout the Old Testament as a way for God to show up and make a decision. They, they, they looked at the Old Testament. Well, how was it decided then? All right, so they, uh, where's the actual verse I want to read here? And they cast lots. They cast lots. They saw it in the Old Testament. They're doing it again here now. They use Scripture, and they use the way that God had moved before and say, God, just moved before. We're going to completely trust you here. Completely trust you. Sometimes in our lives, we can get the, the Scripture part down. We can get the natural wisdom part down. We can even get the prayer part down. But we have a hard time being proactive and saying, okay, God, I'm giving you the chance to move. You've told me to do all these things, but then we wait somehow. We wait for another better natural wisdom to make, like, I, that would have probably been me. That would have been like, I need somebody to come and tell me 
something bad about justice or about Matthias. That way I can rule them out, come down to my natural wisdom. They didn't do that. They said the Old Testament showed to cast lots. Okay, God, we're praying for you to be sovereign here. We're going to cast lots. And then, okay, Matthias, it's you. Don't you feel bad for justice? We see no difference between the two of them. We see nothing that says justice was a little less qualified than Matthias. But God, we don't see that. So, I wonder what, what justice did after that. Sorry, guys, I guess I'm not good enough. I don't know, I don't know if he walked away. I don't know what his response was. I kind of feel bad for him a little bit. But God somehow sovereignly said, no, Matthias is the one. See, God's plan, let me, let me explain this. God's plan for your life and my life, when we seek him out and when we trust him with the decision, God's plan doesn't mean it's always going to end perfectly. We don't know what happened with Matthias, and we also don't know what happened with, with justice. There's no record of them after this point. We see records for all the other disciples. We don't see anything about just how Matthias ended or how justice ended. We just, we just don't. So which one was the better? I don't know. But God sovereignly said, no, Matthias is the one. And they trusted him on that. God's sovereignty doesn't always mean it's going to have some superhero ending. God sovereignly, through Jesus, picked Judas. Doesn't mean it's beautiful the way it ends. He chose Judas. It wasn't a mistake. It was a sovereign plan. And you and I somehow, sometimes have to recognize, God, if we want to be led by you, if we want to be obedient to your scripture, if we want to fulfill the mission that we're on, we got to trust you to be sovereign, even if we don't like the outcome. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's not better than the other way, even if it hurts us, we got to be able to say, God, you're sovereign and I trust you. I'm giving you a place to be, Lord. We don't have a record of the two of these. We, we just don't know. But the point is that one wasn't better than the other. The point is God's leading is always the best. They saw God leading them a certain way, so they took the risk to trust Matthias. That would be hard for me. Even if he was there the whole time of Jesus' ministry, so was Judas. I would be that guy who makes that logical pros and cons and say okay they did this 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 judas also did that we don't need him we don't need a we don't need a 12th guy jesus didn't pick him so why would i pick him but they saw a scriptural mandate for it and they followed it out but I, but i want to ask i have to ask a couple questions in light of this passage some of you have been taking personal betrayals in life and letting letting it ruin your other relationships And to that, I would say you have, you have a, re, one guy said this a long time ago at a, a conference that Ashley and I were at. He said, you might have a reason to be angry, but you don't have the right to be angry. Because of Christ, because of the gospel, I might have reasons to be betrayed and untrusting, but I don't have the right to be betrayed and untrusting. I just don't anymore. And I would say to you, if, if you're struggling and it's ruining your other relationships because of this past brokenness, this past hurt, then I would say you need to trust God and forgive that person. And some of you have forgiven others, but, but you still can't trust anyone else. You can't be vulnerable with people. You were not created for yourself. 
You were not created to have relationship for yourself and by yourself. You were created for community. You were created for the Father. You and I were created to enjoy His presence and then to reflect the Trinity, the relationship of the Trinity through other relationships. So we don't have a right to forgive that person but then to no longer be vulnerable with others. Vulnerability hurts. Can I, can I be honest with you? Vulnerability really hurts sometimes. But it's also awesome. Kind of the environment that I grew up in was very um, fake. Can I say that? It was very like the, the relationships were friendships, but they didn't go very deep. We didn't talk about hurts. We didn't talk about problems. We didn't talk about sin. We didn't talk, talk about spiritual growth. It was very socially acceptable friendships where we pretended to be deep. We pretended to be relational, but then there was no real accountability. Does that make sense? There's no confrontation. Some of us grew up where confrontation is the worst possible word ever. The truth is, it's completely scriptural. Discipline and confrontation is a part of God's plan. It's that stirring up. It's that addressing and confronting in love. It's loving a brother and telling him, hey, you're about to fall off a cliff. How about you don't step that way? Confrontation is needed in the church. But we're afraid of it. We're afraid of getting hurt. We're afraid of getting offended. We're afraid of offending others. So we live this fake life where we don't offend. We don't get too personal. We don't get too real. We just float above the clouds. The truth is that's that's garbage. We've got to become a community that's willing to be vulnerable with each other, willing to be hurt, willing to be offended, but also willing to be loved and willing to be corrected. We've got to create that community here. forgiveness but but there's a mission field that you're supposed you feel like you're called on and you got the prayer part down you got the you got the scripture part down but you're struggling with the sovereignty of God part you're struggling with trusting him through unconventional ways to do the mission that he told you to do I love when Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit they didn't just sit on some couch eating chips and wait for God to show up. They, they went after him. They went to that room. They, we, we see in scripture that they, they went to temples to worship during the day and then they went to their meeting room and prayed and sought his face during the evenings. They weren't like, well, Jesus told us to wait. Anybody got some games to play? We default into that mode a lot. Like, well, God didn't say go yet, so I'm going to do nothing. Let's not be that people, those people either. We've got to learn to get through our betrayal forgive people and then to be on mission with other people. I cannot be on mission as pastor of City Lights without complete trust and vulnerability. This is a church with different gifts, different hearts, different minds, but we have to be in one accord together on mission. The question I ask this morning as we go into worship here and we reflect on this character is are you on mission? Are you vulnerable with people? Are you in relationship? Because if not, find relationship. 
start praying, God, who do you want me to be in relationship with? Send me some close friends. Send me somebody to be accountable with. Somebody, send me somebody to be vulnerable with and broken with and, 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 and plain with. I need to be honest. If you're not in relationship like that, then get in one. Find one. Seek God for one. Narrow it down to three people and then draw lots. I don't know. We're not created to be alone, so stop being alone. That's that's what I feel God's saying through us, to us through Acts this morning. We were not created.